0: Deepfake nudes of Taylor Swift are circulating online, leading to calls from all sides to ban the practice. So what does it say about the future of generative AI? Let's also talk about the weirdest tech recovery where stock market all-time highs are being met with mass layoffs and why quitting Amazon Prime might not be a bad idea. All that and more coming up right after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored
1: by Alumni Ventures. Invest with confidence. Discover the power of venture investing with Alumni Ventures, America's largest venture firm for individual investors. Learn more at AV.VC.
0: Welcome to Big Technology Podcast Friday edition, where we break down the news in our traditional, cool headed, and nuanced format. We're back here for another week of news, big week of news, consequential week of news. We're streaming live on LinkedIn once again. So we might take some questions from the audience. And for those listening on, on the audio feed, we appreciate you, uh, Ranjan, uh, Roy, Ranjan, Roy joins us as <laughs> always. Uh, John, welcome. We're so familiar, no introduction needed, Alex. <laughs> so um, before we get started, I just want to share something very quick. We got such a nice review uh, on Apple Podcasts from someone uh, whose username is K Parwani. K Parwani writes, this podcast is my tech sanctuary in a world filled with digital noise, no tech babble. No smoke and mirrors just straightforward insightful discussions that cut through the bs we asked for the reviews because people who are evaluating the podcast they tend to use them as a proxy for how many people listened uh listen to the show and whether their executives should be on and we've had a couple of really close calls we had some great guests last last year of course uh brian chesky from airbnb among others and we want to definitely deliver the top tier executives to you this year and the way that you can help us do that not for our egos but for the guest recruitment is to do a five-star review on apple podcasts or spotify Um, now that i have gotten that out of the way i just want to you know make that plea and say thank you to such a nice review Uh, let's get to the news of the week and it's been a bit of a troubling story ron john where um, there's been AI porn of Taylor Swift uh, circulating through the internet. Uh, basically, people using image generators to make naked naked images of Taylor, and now it's become this huge story. Uh, was it was it inevitable that we were going to get here with image generation? It was inevitable, and as as I
1: read a couple of places, it's not a big deal until it happens to Taylor Swift, and I think this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where generative AI, we've known it's going to have to be addressed at some point. So what better platform than Elon Musk's X slash Twitter? I'm still having trouble calling it X. And who better than Taylor Swift? And I think regulation around generative AI, is at some point there's going to be some kind of platform standards that are needed. There's going to be some kind of regulation that's needed. Most image generators have protections and censorship against this, but clearly Lots of people are able to do this, but but yeah, we, we've all been talking about this and we've known it was coming, so it's it's here.
0: Yeah, and you could totally, you could jailbreak these, uh, these image generators and even if there are protections, there are ways to always like, in, I guess, inject prompts and get around some of the protections, which is gonna be a bigger and bigger issue. And, and you're right, the fact that it's Taylor Swift has now brought everybody's attention and the New York Post, as it tends to do just, so artfully put it it's no big deal until it happens to taylor swift now that you have your attention houston we have an ai generated porn problem an oozing societal store many folks were seemingly happy to ignore until it ran afoul of america's sweet sweetheart this week deep fake images of the wholesome singular digitally altered photos portraying her in a compromising sexual position circulated on x to swifties discuss And now, this is important, Swifties are wondering how there are no regulations against someone creating fake porn using the likeness of real people and distributing it for the whole world to behold. So, of course, I try to consume a good deal of media on all sides of an issue. And what I found interesting here was that the interests of the New York Post and folks on the other side of the aisle or the other side of the political spectrum are lining up saying that this is a real problem and needs to be dealt with here's casey newton uh, and platformer saying uh, generative ai has m- many positive creative uses and i still believe in its potential to do good but looking back over the past year it's clear that any benefits we have seen today come at a high cost and unless those in power take action and soon the number of victims who pay that cost is only going to increase that is notable to me that we're seeing this as an issue that is starting to drive consensus. And of course we've seen consensus for regulating big tech across the aisle and you know it never amounted to anything. But when this stuff starts happening, Taylor Swift, do you imagine that it's gonna be a pretty important legislative issue fairly soon, if well, not already?
1: I mean, it is ironic that We've already seen examples of uh, deep fakes around, I mean, Biden and Trump for a long time around in other political races. So the future of American democracy and global democracy did not create this call to arms in the way that Taylor Swift has in the last week, but it's still good that it's happening. I think this is the year that the technology is being become as democratized as possible and effective as possible. Just anyone who's used like mid journey version three versus where it is now in version six has seen how quickly the technology has just exploded and just how effective it is. But yeah, I think going into this election year, this is going to be such an issue. We are going to see certainly some very, very viral deep fakes you know, that are circulated, that are confusing. Or like in this case, I don't think... I mean, I, I'm guessing vast, vast majority of people who see the Taylor Swift deepfakes are not thinking it's actually Taylor Swift. It's more a very clear coordinated harassment campaign. But overall, it's it's now and it's happening. But I get one question. You had said big tech regulation. Do you think this is an issue of platforms? Do you think that this is an issue for the tools like Midjourney, Dolly, Stable Diffusion, whoever else? or? who gets regulated or who gets controlled or yeah, the user
0: it's a great question because there will be a big movement that will say it's only a problem for the folks that distribute it and the platforms that allow the distribution which is a great legal argument but i think ultimately when it comes down to who's going to take heat for it it is going to be the tools that enable this to be possible like twitter existed you know despite all of its issues before this happened right this is a new technology that's enabling it to to take place And so therefore the new technology will be the thing that gets the spotlight. And yes, of course it will play a role in politics, but I also think that, you know, maybe like an image of Joe Biden, a fake image of Joe Biden or a fake image of Donald Trump, um, I think a lot of people can, can, like you mentioned, pick out the fact that that's fake the same way that they picked out the fact that Taylor Swift, the Taylor Swift image was fake. But when it comes to creating these nudes, that's the real problem, fake or not. And to me, one of the most interesting things about this is, and the post is right, it has opened our eyes to the fact that this has been a problem for many others. There was a post that Casey Newton picked out uh, that was talking about how on uh, on 4chan they are finding women that are uh, testifying in court and then deep faking them without their clothes on, and this is sort of like a way that like they, you know, sort of revel in the technology, and that's a huge problem. And I think that like. Uh, my eyes are open now in particular uh, about how widespread this already is and how and where it's going to be and maybe it's not going to rise to the point where it's going to throw an election but certainly to the point where like everyday people are going to have to deal with the fact that nude images of them are circulating deep faked or not that's a problem
1: no that that's that's a good point i think that distinguishing between disinformation and harassment and when this is clear that this is pure harassment, not disinformation, basically, and the example you made, which is terrifying, is pure harassment or intimidation. Yeah, that, that's that's actually, I mean, a really good distinction that I hadn't thought of as much, and probably up to this point, has not been the center of the discussion, and needs to be more so. Um, but yeah, this is this is a tough problem, and it's and it's also tough because again, I'm like the first to say that. This technology is incredible and is gonna have so many positive and interesting and amazing use cases. And and I love talking about it and using it. So yeah, this is gonna be an interesting year on this.
0: Ranjan, this is such a new technology also. And so it's, it's coming into an environment where there are broader awareness of the downsides of technology. And maybe in an instance like this can alter its trajectory. Can something like the Taylor Swift nudes actually set back progress in generative AI, or is that something that is still so far-fetched given the direction of technology? That's
1: okay. One thing I would take issue, and I think any time in discussions around regulation of technology is the phrasing set back progress. Because I think, you know, is this progress, Taylor Swift nudes, deep fake nudes being circulated? Like, I think a lot of the times the language around regulation, especially from the technology side of the industry, especially the ones benefiting or profiting, is that everything is progress and you will be setting it back. I think it's, I guess in a way, it's a good thing because you can imagine seven to 10 years ago, No one would have even really thought like this might even happen, and everyone would just look the other way and just let things go. Whereas I think we're in a environment now, as you said, where at least everyone is a lot more conscious of risk in technology, and at least willing to think through how to how to work around, work with it, and work to prevent it. But I don't know. Okay, let me let me attach
0: this specific definition of progress then. Progress in terms of Okay, we can like talk about like the broad definition of progress. I'm talking specifically about building better technology in this vein. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it, will it set that back?
1: Yeah, progress in the, that the, way. Better technology, meaning like if mid-journey version 8, has more safeguards implemented to prevent this. I got to ask, I got to get the real answer here
0: though. Like, yes, of course, but I'm talking about more sophisticated. Like we have been on an innovation curve with this generative AI movement where we've seen this stuff improve its capabilities. So yet I'm not saying we shouldn't build for safety. I'm just trying to say like, can this be a screeching halt moment, or are we still going to see folks continuing to build? this technology. I
1: I don't think this will be a screeching halt moment. I think this is going to be, it's good that these discs, it's not good that this is happening, but it's good that it's brought it to the forefront and the discussion. Cause again, maybe there is some law around, I mean, there already are definitely laws around harassment. And if you generate it and distribute it not the platform the user that can be you know maybe there's actual legal recourse that can be taken and is like very structured and created in a way that you know the legal system recognizes so i think i think it's it's going to not bring it to a screeching halt and will be built will be built in a better way
0: yeah i think all the companies thinking about bringing out the next generation of this stuff had are watching this now and being like are we are we sure, are we sure? Because this stuff is moving quickly. And we yep. spoke a little bit last week about how video generation is gonna be the next thing. And then like literally two days later, this happened this week, Google released a video generator called Lumiere, uh, which an AI video generator. Uh, this is from Ars Technica. It does a great job of creating videos of cute animals in ridiculous scenarios, such as using roller skates, driving a car, playing a piano. Um, and one of the things that I thought was so interesting about is how it could alter, um, you like, you, you like, it can alter existing video. So you say, um, you know, make that person's white shirt black or make that person's, you know, gray hair blue. And it will be able to do that just with AI, which is unbelievable. So we talked about how this video generation stuff is really gonna, I mean, if you thought, if you think bad images of like, let's say Taylor Swift, Are causing a problem just wait till the videos come
1: if i may rant about google for just a moment they they did not actually release lumiere and we'll definitely get into this in a segment later they released a paper and uh, as they often do you know saying that this capability will be possible i think it's really reflective of how google has approached product development and generative ai overall just a small rant that'll come back in this episode but yeah I, i agree video is going to be a major area, but video is still far away. Video, if you've used runway ML, if you've used the video generation capabilities that people can actually use at this point, there's still a ways to go. So I think photos are still gonna be where the, where were the like kind of behavioral norms, legal norms, all these things are kind of set.
0: It would be interesting to get someone who's like working on training some of these AI generated videos to come on the show. Uh, i'm just kind of curious they must see all sorts of in the in the development process they might see must see all sorts of like i don't know fun house hell that these video <laughs> generators are creating well, no
1: I, I i've worked on i've trained a stable diffusion model and like on custom images and stuff mm-hmm. and yeah it it's wild and weird and especially this was about like a year ago so it was i mean it's progressed very quickly since then but you know that's like the 12 fingers eight hands 10 arms that kind of stuff was very common before which is why i think we do have time we do there, there is a window here but i also agree it's it's i think the point you made the people create the someone working at mid-journey is a product manager someone working at open ai on dolly like this taylor swift situation will make them at least think which is at least a start it's a lead start versus i feel there was probably like you know a three to four year window where people probably did not like almost willfully ignored potential use cases of what they're doing
0: it is kind of sad that it takes something like this to like make them pay attention like you would imagine that the idea of people being ai generated naked after appearing in court would be horrifying enough but I guess it takes Taylor right. Swift. Larger I mean, statement on society and yeah. culture. I and mean, look, large, we're here spending the first 15 minutes of the show talking about it when it's Taylor Swift. So,
1: I mean, Mea where Copa. is she going to be sitting at the AFC Championship? That's all, all that we matters. know in the box. That's for yeah. sure. You got
0: the Chiefs or the Ravens?
1: I'm going to go Ravens. I also think if Taylor sat in the cold, I, could you imagine how powerful that would be? Could you It'd imagine be an amazing how? Amazing statement. Nothing will bother st- her. Not the Nothing cold. would bother her—the cold of the people, Taylor. I mean, with bodyguards all around, and saying this is like a case <laughs> in point that yeah. being too close, Jason Kelsey shirt off in the among the people has a different, uh, different, you know, wherewithal. But, but yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, he's Ravens, a three hundred pound offensive the way. What lineman. What about you?
1: What so, about you? Ravens or Chiefs?
0: I think my Super Bowl is going to be Chiefs Lions. Let's see how it goes.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm Lions this year. I'm rooting strongly for the Lions, Detroit. You know, it's a it's a feel good story. I
0: mean, the coach is amazing. Bite the kneecap off, guy. You know, potentially taking Detroit to the Super Bowl. We're gonna get up, and on the way up, we're gonna bite a kneecap off. All right, and we're gonna stand up, and then it's gonna take two more shots to knock us down. All right, and on the way up, we're gonna take your other kneecap. Anyway, we should just, before we get too deep into the sports stuff, uh, let's let's talk quickly about the business side of generative AI, because there was a very interesting story about anthropic. Like you and I are always trying to determine like how much of a business this is will margins come down, et cetera, et cetera. This is a story from the information anthropics, gross margin flags, long-term AI profit questions. Okay. It's, it's a bit of a jumbly headline, but basically it means that they're not making as much money off of it as, uh, as other technology and this is interesting so it says new data show that profit margins for startups may end up lower than for existing enterprise software firms let's talk about ai startups right after paying the cost of customer support support and service to power its ai anthropics gross margin so gross profit as a percentage of revenue was between 50 and 55 percent in december And this is according to two people with direct knowledge of the figures. That's far lower than the average gross margin of 77% for cloud software stocks. So we are looking at the fact that there are so much money involved in running these models that the margins are fairly low. And it's interesting because, or not fairly low, 55 is still pretty good, but not as high as traditional SaaS software. And it does make me wonder a little bit about like, what is the... What is the business future of this? I mean, think about all the billions, trillions may be invested into AI, and if you can't make a lot of money off of it, does that eventually come back to, to roost?
1: I thought this was this was such a good story and a good point. Again, every listener, th- remember, average gross margin of for cloud software stocks, 77%. Anthropic reported 50 to 55, and 50 to 55% gross margin you can see that in a good retailer someone actually making clothes so you know the, the you're getting into a very very different space than traditional software and it really got me thinking around how does generative ai scale because we know that generative ai is a more resource intensive process there's definitely hope that over time again as this technology advances and improves the cost per query will come down, the way things work will come down. And you know, this will all be, the right models will be used for the right use cases. Cause again, do I need the full power of GPT-4 or, for anthropic the latest model of Claude to do simple text queries or you know generate like 10 email subject lines probably not so maybe that's one area where you can start to see some more cost efficiency but but overall is this going to look different than traditional software and i think it, it raises a really interesting question around that that is this is this a new hybrid where the cogs behind uh technology are no longer just kind of infinite scale software like we've seen in most other industries where it almost looks more like you know a, a tesla and airbnb or someone else calling them uh, selves a tech company but actually having a lot of underlying costs maybe it looks more like that
0: and what does that say about where this is all heading then I mean, it's oh, still the, good valuations are, yeah, the valuations are. it says the valuations
1: are insane. Actually, yeah. I think even more so because these are not even being valued like cloud companies. These are being valued like COVID era. <laughs> the whatever Peloton work from home, crypto, everything. So so I think you know,
0: you're in trouble I, when you're in Peloton COVID territory.
1: <laughs> yeah, when you're in Peloton COVID territory, raise the flag, you know. Uh but yeah, I think I think it says very clearly that valuations are out of control in this space because again, it's it's one thing to say this is a pure traditional software play that's going to dominate traditional software but if you start seeing that the underlying economics are different than traditional software already then those like 50x future sales or whatever they're trading at right now uh, definitely look a bit a bit rich
0: yeah and speaking of covid era valuations and market madness can i briefly tease wednesday's guest Please, please. Okay, I'm going to do it. Uh, Vlad Tenev, the CEO of Robinhood, is coming on. So we're (laughs) going to have such a fun conversation. I can't wait. So folks, stay tuned for Vlad coming on Wednesday. Should be about 6 a.m. Eastern that I drop the episode.
1: Just for listeners' uh, context, I do not know ahead of time these guests. And Alex amazingly weaves into uh, (laughs) every conversation. Somehow I tee him up perfectly to introduce the guest that's coming.
0: Thank you so much. So, all right. uh, Speaking of the economy, very interesting moment right now. And I really, I think we're going to just have to figure out what the heck is happening here because it's so confusing to me. We're seeing all time highs in the stock market and not just all time highs in the stock market, but we're seeing all time highs in tech, which is powering the stock market. And yet it looks like 2024 might be a bigger year for tech layoffs than 2023 was. I, I would understand if so many of these cuts, and let's just talk about them quickly. We saw that Microsoft is going to cut 1,900 people from Activision. Uh, the Salesforce just announced a layoff. We talked about the ones at Google. We've talked about ones continuing at Amazon. Uh, that We're already outpacing January 2023, which is hard to believe. And Quartz uh, says that we have 24,000 layoffs. Uh, just this week in the tech industry. Why in the world are the tech companies performing so well and cutting so deeply?
1: So there's a a really good article in The Atlantic from Andy Lowry around layoffs being contagious or the idea of copycat layoffs that I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, can you explain
0: that? Can you dig into that a bit?
1: Yeah, so when a company lays off and their peers are not laying off, it gives the impression that your company is, you know, potentially in trouble or something's going wrong. When your competitors are laying off people and it becomes an industry trend, that is exactly the moment that not only, if you've been thinking about laying off anyone, you do it, it almost looks bad if you're not laying off people because at that point, like right now in the market, it started with year of efficiency and everything else last year, layoffs not only have become normalized it's almost a show of strength by tech CEOs and most of these firms so i think it's clear that every leader has the incentive to lay off right now and in some ways is again incentivized to do it there's and i think we can definitely discuss should they be doing it who should be taking responsibility for the decisions being made that were made in the past few years but but it's clear this is going to continue
0: I mean, how do you do it? Like, okay, so you said maybe we should. Let's do it. Like, let's talk about it. How can you lay off so many people when the valuations are at an all-time high?
1: Because you hired too many people <laughs> during the last couple of years. And but isn't the market
0: telling you you didn't if they're putting your stock at an all-time high?
1: Well, no, but you, the market is still just trying. The market just cares about your revenue, sales growth, EBITDA, profit, all but these this is things. But that's what I'm saying. So if the yeah. stock market isn't so punishing be you better. for your costs... It, it, it could already, be better. Be, well, actually, hold on. But the the other major point, and this is one thing that I know, and I will be a bit controversial here, is I don't have the greatest sympathy for large tech firms and employees at many of them, because over the last number of years, I heard firsthand endless stories about people very very generously compensated barely doing anything at a lot of these firms that they did become bloated they did become you know Mm -hmm. just like kind of you know rest invest or just places to relax and hang out do a little do side projects and get insane compensation packages relative to most people in the world and even most people in tech but i think where it gets interesting is At what point does that hiring bloat negatively affect the actual work being done, the product development pipeline? And if you can imagine, those additional layers of bureaucracy and complexity probably slow things down. Like Google, going back to what we had said earlier, Mm -hmm. Google has been a disaster in terms of product rollout, especially in the generative AI space. I mean, BARD is a mess, how that works within their existing products. Meanwhile, Microsoft has just been on fire you know is that because there are too many people i mean that's what mark zuckerberg and meta openly said you're sounding elon muskish i know but but this is something i i will agree with elon musk to an extent um but I, i will agree more with mark zuckerberg in the sense of you know culturally it changed the company And then again, remember, it was in their year of efficiency that they launched threads in like, how many? It was like three months. There was a great Mm -hmm. piece I remember reading about the entire launch process. Like they got to work, they cut things down and really focused and started executing very well. They revitalized their entire ad business, again, while downsizing and becoming more efficient. So, So I think there's something to be said where hiring bloat, even if the market is allowing for it still actually will have negative long-term implications on the company, both culturally in terms of actual product efficiency development, all these things.
0: So let's accept your argument. Why didn't this happen in 2023? Why did they wait till 2024? Was it that they were so slow that they couldn't figure out who they wanted to cut for a year? This is like, we're going to see more cuts this year than last.
1: No, but well, one, we did see many cuts last year. I think, that uh, Quartz had the graphic that cuts this year are outpacing on average for January every month from last year, but still are just only slightly higher. So there was plenty of layoffs last year, and I do think it'll continue. But but as you said, these companies have been running slow. You know, these companies, there is a lot of bureaucracy and work within this, and it's not like you're at a early stage startup where hiring and firing are the fastest things that happen. You know, these these things do happen slowly, but, but going back to the contagious copycat idea, now there's all the appetite in the world. Again, should Sundar and other leaders take more responsibility for the mismanagement or the overhiring? I think that's a reasonable question, but is it the right thing to do for the company at this moment? I think for a lot of these companies, it is.
0: Let's talk briefly because it involves like one of the, th- the themes that we talk about here. Let's talk briefly about the media layoffs, right? 115 people cut at the LA Times, I think 8% out at Business Insider, Sports Illustrated effectively demolished. Um, we know there have been layoffs at Condé Nast. I mean, I could keep talking forever about the media companies that have laid off. My old employer, BuzzFeed News, No More Newsroom, uh, although that happened mid last year. There, I think there's a misnomer here that people are saying that Um, this is because of generative AI. I just don't think it's like people have gone to generative AI to get their news. It seems to me that it's just like broader business mismanagement. Can we agree on that one?
1: I, well, one definite distinction for anyone listening is that media layoffs, I have a very different, at least empathy for versus kind of like big tech layoffs. Cause again, it's not like people's lives were super comfortable beforehand and, you know, it versus a lot of the big tech employees. I think within the media industry, it's tough. It's been tough for a long time and it remains tough, but I agree. I don't think it has anything to do with generative AI. Maybe like if anything, it'll be used as an excuse by management to push through layoffs. But I think this just still goes back to the the business model problem that's plagued media for the last 15 years.
0: Yeah, I agree. I just think they, they spent too money. bills came due. And I mean, you're also like in the case of LA Times relying on a billionaire to keep funding you. And I, it's, you know, maybe that works for a while, but it's always a difficult position to be in to rely on one person's whims to decide whether you can fund a newsroom or not. And then something
1: like should Sports Illustrated exist is a... Uh, it's a tough one because it's just you know so such an iconic brand that everyone has been around for so long and meant so much to America and you know but but does the athletic or whoever else have the same you know right to become that iconic of a sports brand? I think it's still capitalism. It's still open. And the you know Sports Illustrated for a long time, especially after the uh, spinoff from I believe it was Time Warner. I mean, has not been in the greatest business situation or, or did not pivot online as well as it could have. So I think at that point, it just at some point it was inevitable.
0: Exactly, and I was I, I would say that, you know, yes, Sports Illustrated did use generative AI, but that is to me a trailing indicator of the fact that they had business problems. It's not like they figured yes. out generative yes. AI. It's like a desperation move at the very end of the journey.
1: Do you remember when BuzzFeed's stock popped? I think it was like 35% because they put out a press yes. release for generative AI. I, think <laughs> I do remember I, that's that. A, I agree. I, that's a good... Right now, media companies, when generative AI comes out is like that they're very publicly using it or using it at scale. It's a trailing indicator that things are bad. I think some companies are probably very smartly working on how it's going to augment their processes and workflows. But, but the ones when they... The ones that are doing it too fast are definitely the ones that are in trouble.
0: We did get, um, though, an incredible resignation letter from uh, Ross Levinson, who uh, was the CEO of Arena Group, and then he went to the board. He was basically the person that was, I think, he was held accountable for a lot of the Sports Illustrated scandal stuff. (laughs) Uh, He writes this, the members of the board take their fiduciary duties and, uh, and responsibilities Seriously, the company's decisions regarding operating expenses, strategic transactions, or otherwise followed uh, thoughtful process and deliberation. Um, oh, wait, hold on. What does he say? Oh, this, is sorry. He says, um, the feckless actions and, and the board's inability to stand up to the demands of a minority shareholder and his two board representatives has placed the company in severe distress. And watching what is transpiring in real time makes it impossible to continue to serve. Today's obliteration of Sports Illustrated's storied newsroom and the union-busting tactics is the last straw. These actions and the inaction of this board are illegal, riddled with self-dealing, and will almost certainly lead to shareholder lawsuits. In my more than 30 years inside of public and private companies, I've never witnessed more negligence in my career. That is
1: pretty spectacular, given Ross Levinson, it's not like he's been the most, you know, like of the people media executive (laughs) known he's been known as a pretty kind of like high up cutthroat business guy so for him to write that i think that says something about uh what's
0: going on i mean on the positive side we are seeing that in in two areas right both the economy and the stock market things are looking up in a way that sort of have exceeded people's wildest dreams Uh, first of all this is from the Wall Street Journal. What recession growth ended up accelerating in 2023? The U.S. economy grew 3.1% over the last year, defying projections of a recession as a resilient labor market uh, supported strong consumer spending. Um, people are saying that this is the, that soft landing, so that's great. And then we also, I mean, we, we saw all throughout this week all-time highs in the S&P 500 and of, of a number of uh, companies that we follow here. So. I guess you could look at that as as a, as a very good sign for where we're heading this year.
1: Yeah, I think that probably the biggest conversation going into the election, I think is gonna be like, is the economy good or not? And this is a perfect example where media layoffs always have a much bigger media impact than other industries just because, People are very, you know, ha- already have reach and can say, I was laid off and will, you know, find readers and it'll become more of a story and other writers, will, journalists will write about it because it hits so close to home. So I think the scale, and this is, you know, is it a recession, the vibes are bad or is the economy bad? I think it's gonna probably be the most ongoing debate over the next year up to the election.
0: Yeah, okay, and where, where do you stand on that? <laughs> It's a tough one. It's a
1: tough one. I think like, one thing I was actually thinking about was- What's tough about it? It's it's actually good. One of it, but here's the thing, like inflation and how it feels, I've really, and I've, I've been having so many conversations with friends and other like family and stuff where everyone's like, you know, I still see inflation everywhere. And it's a reminder that a decreasing rate of increase of inflation does not feel good the like inflation still is high relative to where it was before your grocery bill is still significantly higher things cost more so like it's one of those because i I studied economics undergrad and you know like learned all this stuff theoretically but then this is for me the this has been the first genuinely inflationary period i've lived through that I, i can remember and uh like watching it how it plays out because it doesn't feel good when inflation goes from like eight percent to three percent because it's still that that eight percent inflation is still there is just now increasing at a slower rate so which is feels very theoretical and intellectual but in real life your milk still costs more and it's still costing a little more every time you go
0: let me ask you this Ranjan whose fault is this okay because on one hand corporate profits and the stock market is are about are in as about uh the best shape as they've ever been right so on one hand you could say corporations took advantage of a moment of stimulus and need during covid and raised prices and they also and and are you know reaping the reward and causing some of this inflation right Now, beyond this the supply chain stuff I'm talking about st- st- strictly from a corporate profit standpoint on the other side you know we were just uh uh, my wife and I we went to see uh, the Gutenberg show on Broadway this this uh, this week, and we were in the standing room only s- section. By the way, a great uh, life hack in New York if you can go if you go standing room, you can see a show for forty bucks as long as you can stand through through the show and you have great sight lines. Uh, but someone we were speaking with was talking about how like they were charging like twenty five dollars for a drink in Vegas and something like fifteen dollars for a drink in the theater. And I'm like, well, they'll just keep charging it as long as people keep paying it. Like, on one hand, it's the price gouging from the companies. But on the other hand, it's like, as long as we allow them to do this, they'll keep doing this. I mean, I guess it's like a broader market question. But who do you think the culprit is here?
1: No, I mean, I think it's everyone starting with... Once you add in some trillion dollars into the economy of new, you know, new money that it's going to be spent somewhere and then people will have it. So I think obviously it started with ZERP and, you know, stimulus, but then obviously corporations have taken advantage of that as well as they would and should. And so, yeah, I I think it's a tough one because I don't think blame is the right answer I think you know. What are you going to do? It's always my solution. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, but but that's the thing. It's everyone's fault. It's everyone's fault. But also, and I agree. If you don't want to, even going out to restaurants in New York City, it really is the point where, I mean, I've gotten to just you go out less because, like, you go to a meal and when you're spending. You know, like fifty percent more than you used to spend, and the meal doesn't feel as good or doesn't feel like a premium thing, then you go to less of them, and it, and at some point, that will you know flow back into economic statistics. But right now, we're still at that that we're still you know feeling the effects of people are willing to spend because there was just more money.
0: Interesting. So now, when we look at the stock market, I mean. You could understand why people are feeling positive, but a big question, especially on CNBC this week, like right before I came on uh, to talk about Netflix earnings, there was a big discussion of whether the uh, market is over exuberant and you are looking at like uh, a very frothy, it feels frothy, right? Like all time highs in this kind of uncertain moment where everything needs to be perfect to sustain them. Um company like Netflix, which I was on to talk about. I mean doing good on earnings, like adding 13 million subscribers, which is excellent. Maybe like the second highest quarter of ads in its, in its history, but also trading at like a 35 times forward price to earnings multiple. I mean, that's crazy, right? I mean, it's, it's a media company to go 35 X. So do do you think that the stock market is kind of getting ahead of its skis on this one?
1: It's tough, but by the same token, there's so many stocks. I I was seeing some chart around that, like what exuberance and, you know, so many of the poster children of the COVID years or even before are down 70%, 90% from their highs. So it's overall, obviously, the tan mama, Tesla, Apple, Netflix, Microsoft, Alphabet, and so on, or the Magnificent Seven, yeah, Yeah. have driven – been a big driver of those gains, but also this, the increase was not just kind of like, these are all companies that are in strong positions, right? Like it's not it's not like they're complete fluff or froth. They're in strong positions, as you said, Netflix, which has been questioned many times, like how well they're executing on the ad supported tier of the business, has been pretty impressive so that shows an entire new avenue of growth they're going into gaming they're you know they're innovating they're they're progressing so in terms of future growth it could it there's a story there um i i will say i actually feel this is less over exuberance than certainly some of the past cycles and that there's a real story here hopefully i didn't just jinx the market completely right there now
0: we're toast (laughs) so one I'm Jim thing- Kramer
1: right here. I just did it.
0: <laughs> exactly. So listen, there's something else that that has happened. And I was listening to the Compound and Friends, you know, which is a show that we like here. Uh, I've been on a couple of times. Um, they were talking about how um, this moment it's you have. So, so here I just saw this, that the S&P 500 sectors weight uh, in the index of the technology sectors weight in the index just crossed thir- above 30 percent for the first time since 2000. So technology sector above 30% in the S&P. The, we thought that higher interest rates, and maybe this was just me, but we thought that higher interest rates were gonna hurt the tech sector because um, they would emphasize profits and not future growth, and that's not really the bag of the tech sector. But what's actually happened is the the big tech companies have thrived in this moment, while some of the smaller companies, like I think the Russell 1000 is, tra- is trading Uh, 20% under its uh, all-time highs, which represents like some of the smaller cap companies. Um, And what they were saying on the compound is that those smaller companies have a harder time getting access to capital than the bigger companies. So it's an interesting moment where like in a moment where rising interest rates, you would think they hurt big tech. Actually, they benefit big tech disproportionately than the small guys. So low interest rate benefits them, high interest rates... (laughs) benefits them i mean where could you know there's it seems like they are impenetrable
1: well no i think the thing that happened was generative ai and the ai hype they all were well positioned for and have capitalized on that so that becomes part of the growth story so then you combine that with cash being cash machines and profitable and not needing the same access to capital or having being so big that they have easier access to capital yeah i agree it's definitely if we thought high interest rates would diversify the economy more, that definitely has not been the case. But again, what I see different now is with higher interest rates, the fraud the Peloton during COVID the stories are not happening. And that's not where the action is. The action is in, you know, highly concentrated, highly profitable trillion dollar gigantic companies that have a growth story. For what that for what that means for the overall economy and right. vibrance and democracy you know we'll there's see. debate there but they so have a story i'll give it a big
0: technology economy huh
1: yeah yeah so why you to, named it why you named the publication
0: exactly so much to do a podcast about these things um yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> rounding out this segment uh i just this is gonna kind of blow up our transition but i forgot to mention this and it's Actually, this crazy thing that happened this week. So, um, you know, the Wall, the Washington Post, which is owned by Bezos. Like speaking of all the um, layoffs, uh, there there was a, a story on the Washington uh, Post homepage that said something like, "Billionaire funding isn't idea, isn't ideal, but journalism needs it right now." And then you clicked on the story, and the story was editor's note, and the body of the story was, um, "This file was inadvertently published." <laughs> Wait, really? Yes. It was crazy. I I couldn't believe what I saw.
1: I wonder if someone was laid off for that one.
0: Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're talking about years of efficiency. Why can't we have a year of efficiency on our own? Uh, When we come back from the break, we're going to talk briefly about the merits of subscribing to Amazon Prime and why, as I recently argued in Big Technology, the newsletter might be time to unsubscribe. We'll be back right after this.
1: I'm Kwame Christian, and I am the CEO of the American Negotiation Institute, and I want you to check out my podcast, Negotiate Real Change. Listen to conversations with leaders in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space and learn the secrets behind what it really takes to become a successful advocate, ally, and change maker in your organization. Check out Negotiate Real Change on your favorite podcast player. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of.
0: And we're back here on Big Technology Podcast Friday edition, joined as always by Ranjan Roy of Margins. So Ranjan, we talked about this briefly on the show last week, but why don't we talk about it this week as well? Um, Because now that I've written about it, I feel like really amped up and a believer in my argument. So uh, my story this week in Big Technology is I canceled Amazon Prime, and you probably can too. And I guess this is building off of a series of hot takes that I've dropped to start the year. And I will return to more AI coverage after this, but I guess uh, these kind of built up over the new year break and I had to pump them out. I mean, why have a newsletter if you're going to keep your hot takes to your own to yourself. Um, but basically my argument here is that I, along with many other people uh, came to see Amazon prime as indispensable during 2020 and 2021 amid the lockdowns and the idea that you know in-person shopping was closed for good chunks of time and you could get things delivered that day or the next day or two days later with prime solved that problem and made it an, an essential service but when the ftc started to talk about how it was so difficult to cancel prime i tried it and i actually did cancel prime and then it lapsed and i said okay i'm just gonna wait and see what happens here and i waited and i said Okay, actually, I don't need it because as long as my shopping cart is over $35, Amazon is going to ship those things for free to me anyway. And okay, I have to wait an extra few days. Who cares? And then, okay, I lose Amazon Prime, but I also have Max and Netflix. Like a lot of people, I have multiple subscriptions. We all know we don't need all those. And so now I'm happily off of Prime. And I argue in the piece that um, by and large, it seems like I would, I would guess, and I don't, didn't write this down, but I would guess half of the 100 million people Uh, The 200 million people who are Prime subscribers don't really need it. What do you think?
1: No, this is – I love this. And so I've had my own little experiment. I am too cowardly to actually cancel Prime out of fear that my wife would destroy me because I actually (laughs) – what has happened in the last couple of months? So last year I was traveling a lot more for work and I got the Amex Platinum to get some lounge access. And one of the benefits – is walmart plus for free it's like 15 bucks a month i think it it probably costs around the same as prime so the last uh, basically a couple of months ago i started trying to test can i only shop on walmart plus and not amazon and i admit amazon i shop on a lot and have shopped on for years a lot so like you know all the things that i buy on amazon if i go to walmart can I buy them and buy them at a, and get them in a reasonable time frame? Often one or two days, and it's been fine. It's been totally fine. It's equivalent in terms of assortment, in term equivalent in terms of delivery. You know, so I think Amazon already on the e-commerce side has competition. I think the video side of it is also interesting. I've just been watching Reacher recently, and I've binged it over. Uh, have you watched it?
0: No, not yet. Oh, it's strober- on Amazon Prime. Yeah, it's on. No, it. Oh yeah, well, of course I'm you have not. it
1: then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not exactly the pinnacle of prestige TV, but an entertaining uh entertaining spy show nonetheless, but but yeah, I really started to wonder whereas if you asked me yeah a year or two ago like the Amazon Prime bill yearly subscription you would pay for before anything else. It was such a part of just living that, like, I think a lot of people are going to start asking that question. The moment that question gets asked, that's huge. Because again, Amazon Prime customers, I think I'd read, it's like they on average spend $1,400 a year, whereas a non-Prime uh, customer spends around 300 So it's like, almost a 5x multiple of how prime locks you in and we know it locks you in obviously they're adding more and more to the bundle of the nfl whatever else but the moment that with these kind of things that feel like you know at a time if you are not on facebook do you even exist socially and then people myself included deleted facebook and then actually you still have friends and still know what's going on in the world and suddenly it's not indispensable so i think So yeah, the moment that question even enters people's minds, it's big trouble for Amazon.
0: Exactly. And I still think most people will hang on to their Prime subscription, but if a certain large percentage left, especially they added 50 million people during COVID, like those people didn't need Prime, you would imagine beforehand, they signed on. And a lot of people have forgotten, like I did, that you could actually get stuff shipped for free. And that's been nice because it's really limited these amazon impulse purchases that i would make so that's been fairly good and also like it does it does take a little bit longer but not that much longer for stuff to arrive so
1: well without impulse purchases how is the u.s economy going to grow alex it's so the that's u.s a big consumer question. that drives the economy and if we are not impulse shopping what's left
0: this is why i think a 35 multiple for netflix is wrong <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right that's fair that's fair
0: but there are there is lots of great television out there we um you know being limited to max well, very tough life but watched the entire sopranos since october and that show is incredible have you seen well, it
1: before? I, oh yeah no, no. Oh, well, i watched it brilliant dur- as it came out and remember waiting for the finale uh that whole week i but but one good point on that is i for the last three years, let's say, or maybe it actually last three or four years, any new subscription service that was launched for streaming entertainment, I probably subscribed to. And all these companies were, you know, launching $3 a month, $6 a month, first six months free, and very clearly trying to get you hooked into their ecosystem. But it's only recently that I really have been questioning, what can I cut? I still haven't cut anything and still have most of them, but I think, that question is going to come up because of price increases. And then you're right at a certain point. When it's when I'm looking for what I want to watch, I have no idea where to start. I get lost versus if I had, you know, fewer subscriptions, then it narrows down your choice and actually helps you in that journey.
0: Oh yeah. We've done we've really plowing through the max. We've done all of Game of Thrones, which was incredible. Okay, so Old you just sopranos. didn't watch any of
1: the biggest shows of yeah, the 2000s. Yeah, exactly. Well,
0: listen. Before I got married, I used to watch a lot of sports, and now I'm like actually watching series. So all, right, all Sopranos, and now uh, we're we're watching. Uh, we're about to cue up The Wire, which I have watched before, but I can't wait to watch again. It's a classic. I could do
1: a Wire rewatch. I could think. Yeah.
0: Uh, so Why don't we do big it on technology the technology spinoff? Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: big technology spinoff.
0: <laughs> By the way, these these show podcasts are very popular. You just do one. You know, recap every after every episode. People love that stuff. Maybe, maybe. I'd be down, Ron John.
1: You've heard it here. Wire rewatch, big technology spinoff.
0: Love it. Um, By the way, just got a text Flexport is going to lay off 20% after it raised 260 million from Shopify this week. 20%. Wow. Nearly 20% of its workforce. And they just laid off a lot of people. So even beforehand after the Dave Clark thing happened, so.
1: I'm still amazed, Shopify, how public they were on that investment as well. That, you oh, know, yeah. it's a company that's still trying to kind of find its footing, mm-hmm. again, after being a Peloton COVID poster child, but, but very strong business overall. But to kind of just very publicly make a big, flashy investment like that was interesting, but. But
0: they've always, this is the thing, they were always competing with Amazon on logistics. So that could be an alliance uh, that happens. So, we'll see. We have we have and Ryan Penelope. Peterson scheduled, the Flexport CEO, uh, to come on next month. We we're supposed to have him around New Year, but he was doing a lot of media, and I said let's wait. So it actually might be a great time for us to Maybe to speak with him about it.
1: Maybe I'll cancel my Amazon Prime in solidarity for the
0: alliance. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just wait. There's going to be like Shopify Plus or something, but. It's all these individual merchants. Ooh, wait,
1: Shopify Plus.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, all right. I'm in streaming entertainment as well. Fast shipping from a curated assortment of suppliers. I think I'm in.
0: I think you just branded that perfectly. Nailed it. (laughs) All right, everybody. Well, the Big Technology Podcast brought to you by the future Shopify Plus has been proud to bring you this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. Seriously call us toby uh well anyway this has been great well, we'll be back next week to break down the news ron john thanks so much for being here
1: yeah have a good weekend
0: have a great weekend everybody and we'll see you next time on big technology podcast